This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. This is The Roger Stone Show on WABC Radio. WABC, making AM radio great again. We have a great lineup for you today, August 27th, which just happens to be my birthday. It's a birthday that I share with President Lyndon Baines Johnson, which is somewhat ironic since the first book I ever wrote, a New York Times bestseller, is The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. This is a book in which I used eyewitness evidence, fingerprint evidence, and well, deep Texas politics to prove that LBJ is the man who had the motive, means, and opportunity to murder his predecessor. And uh, even though I'm not an attorney, if you read this book, I think you'll see that I nailed it. It's available, by the way, by going to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or you can go to StoneZone.com and get a signed copy in the shop. Uh, but it is uh, an irony that LBJ and I share the same birthday. Uh, we have a great lineup, as I said. Joining us today uh, is uh, author and cartoonist uh, Scott Adams, uh, famous for uh, the creator of the Dilbert uh, comic strip. He has been the target of uh, censorship uh, because of his outspoken views. He has an extraordinarily pungent uh, Twitter feed. Uh, he was once banned on Twitter. Like me, he has returned to Twitter. Uh, he talks to us uh, about his new book. Uh, we also have President Donald Trump's spokesman, Jason Miller, who will tell us uh, what it was like to be with President Donald Trump when he was arrested, fingerprinted, and mugshotted in Atlanta, Georgia this past Thursday. He's also going to talk to us about the impact on the Trump campaign, the impact on the Trump family, uh, and give us a, uh, his assessment of this week's Fox a Republican candidate debate. And then also joining us is Congressman Byron Donalds, one of the rising stars of the Republican Party. Uh, he's going to tell us whether or not the House Republicans will get up the gumption to impeach Joe Biden, and for that matter, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland. He's also going to talk to us about whether the House Republicans are prepared to do anything about 
immigration, which could include uh, the uh, impeachment of uh, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, to make sure that you don't miss any of the great programming here uh, at WABC Radio, I strongly recommend that you get the 77 WABC Radio app. You can easily download this from the App Store to your cell phone. You don't want to miss any of the great talk and news radio programming here uh, at WABC. I'm talking about the great Sid Rosenberg in the morning. Uh, I'm talking about Larry Kudlow, uh, the man who, uh, as the head of the President's Council of Economic Advisors, uh, quarterbacked the turbocharging of the American economy under President Donald Trump. Uh, if you like the offbeat, there is uh, Frank Marano's The Other Side of Midnight. That, that's a, a must-listen for the night owls out there. You don't want to miss Curtis Sliwa, who is now beating Donald Trump in the arrest competition, 79 to 4. Curtis Sliwa is a must-listen. Rita Cosby, uh, a a veteran radio journalist, uh, always bringing you the most incisive uh, analysis of public issues, Uh, She has her own show, but she also joins with John Katzmatidis and the Katz and Cosby show, 5 o'clock every day, kind of gives you an all-star panel uh, and an opportunity to review what went down uh, that day uh, and what's going to happen looking ahead. You can also catch the Katz and Cosby show at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, kind of sets the table. Uh, for the day. So please go download the 77 WABC app to your cell phone so you don't miss uh, a minute uh, of any of our great programming. Oh, I forgot to mention my pal Dominic Carter, a man who has his fingers on the pulse of New York. You don't want to miss that either. So download the app. Now, if you live in the greater New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area where I grew up, the home, of course, of the greatest pizza in the world, uh, then you can hear us at 770 on the AM dial. But if you're out of town, you can always listen to us at wabcradio.com, where we are live streaming uh, any place in the world. So there's never any excuse for missing the greatest radio programming in America today. Donald Trump was uh, this week the first president in American history to win a debate in which he was not even in attendance. Uh, This, in a way, was a face-off between the old media, cable, uh, and the new media, the Internet. Bakari Sellers of CNN said that nobody would be watching the Tucker Carlson-Donald Trump interview. Uh, But, well, now the results are in. 13 million people watched the debate on Fox, which to me was just a shout fest of mostly scripted lines and canned sound bites, uh, and an astounding 
270 million plus people watched the Tucker Carlson Donald Trump interview, setting a world record uh, and an event that surpassed uh, the previous record holder, which was Oprah Winfrey's interview with Michael Jackson, uh, and also two Super Bowl competitions, which heretofore had been the most viewed events in internet history. So Donald Trump has made history again. Not only is he uh, the first businessman to be elected president, because all of our presidents previously have been governors, senators, congressmen, or generals, uh, but uh, he has now broken this internet record. Uh, if he, as I think he will, returns to the White House in 2024, uh, he will be the only second man in history uh, who served a term, uh, was uh, turned out of office in a disputed election, and then returned to the White House. That distinction goes to a different New Yorker, Grover Cleveland. Uh, but right now, if anyone can read the polls, despite the the uh, tsunami of vituperation and abuse that the president has been subjected to uh, through the Democrat media cabal, he continues to actually lengthen his lead for the Republican nomination, uh, and he continues to lead Joe Biden in a trial heat. Uh, as well as leading him uh, in the swing states. Now, it's important to recognize that you should never make your political prognostications based on one poll or two. Uh, you need to look at a collection of polls and kind of take a collective average. But by anyone's measure, none of this, in my opinion, would be happening if Donald Trump was not leading in the polls uh, handily for the Republican nomination uh, and certainly, at a minimum, competitive and, in most cases, leading sleepy Joe Biden. If you're just tuning in, folks, this is the Roger Stone Show, uh, and this is WABC Radio. WABC, we're making AM radio great again. Uh, the Fox presidential debate really did nothing to consolidate the field in any way. If Donald Trump was the winner by not showing up, and he was, the debate did not identify one or two other real contenders. Vivek Ramaswamy played the outsider role, I think, to great effect. Uh, his spirit and his energy uh, and his uh, optimism, uh, even in the back and forth with Chris Christie, and former Vice President Mike Pence uh, really were the flash points of the debate to the extent that the post-debate polls show anything. They show uh, that the outsider, the man whose message most closely approximates Donald Trump's America First message, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, seems to have come out the winner to the extent that there was a winner. Again, it takes some time before these matters settle in the public mind. So flash polls immediately after the poll, uh, after the debate, but before the media gets to weigh in with their analysis uh, may not be that meaningful. But one thing is absolutely clear. 
this uh, was supposed to be Governor Ron DeSantis's breakout moment, and frankly, it just didn't happen. To say that Ron DeSantis is not a championship debater would be, well, uh, an understatement. He seemed robotic and very tightly rehearsed. Uh, his claim that he would have fired Dr. Fauci doesn't augur with the fact that he once bragged on video of having gotten one million Floridians to get the vaccination and uh, that he had his very own version of Dr. Fauci, uh, who led the pandemic shutdown in Florida, uh, where the truth is the beaches and the restaurants and all public spaces were closed down than President Donald Trump wanted them to be. Uh, the other interesting piece here was that he clearly waited uh, when the panel was asked for a show of hands as to who would support Donald Trump if he was convicted but was the Republican nominee for president. It was very clear that Ron DeSantis waited uh, to see what uh, others did once uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Nikki Haley uh, and Tim Scott almost immediately raised their hands. Then only did Governor DeSantis kind of sheepishly raised his. Uh, the candidates were also asked whether Mike Pence did the right thing by declining to send the votes of the electoral colleges back to the individual states for reexamination, consistent, by the way, with the Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, uh, and DeSantis tried to finesse that question. When pressed by the moderators, he said, well, I, I have no beef with what Mike did. Strange answer. Uh, Chris Christie uh, demonstrated that he's a prosecutor at heart. Uh, he came across as a bully. Uh, he tried to have, he tried to do to Vivek Ramaswamy what he did to Marco Rubio uh, in uh, earlier debates, uh, it didn't work, uh, to say the least. Uh, his attacks on President Donald Trump were loudly booed. He was really decimated. Uh, but the single best moment in the debate, I think, was when Ramaswamy said to him, you know, uh, your campaign criticizing the vindictiveness and the retaliation that you see in Donald Trump's campaign would be more credible if your entire campaign was not uh, about vindictiveness and retaliation. Interesting to say that uh, in the Tucker Carlson interview with Donald Trump, uh, that Trump was asked uh, where the animus from Chris Christie came from. And he said, well, Christie wanted uh, a number of high-level appointments, uh, and he never got one. Uh, and when Tucker Carlson asked him why he didn't appoint Governor Chris Christie, Trump said, well, I never trusted him. Now I think we can see why. My sources tell me that Governor Christie made sure that there was no food left in the Fox green room before he left. Senator Tim Scott, I thought, was uh, impressive and solid, but not really given enough time. Uh, he now kind of moves to the top of my list. 
in terms of uh, a potential vice presidential candidate. Uh, interestingly enough, none of these candidates had any of the any of the multi-point plans or solutions uh, that you would normally see uh, in these debates. Bill Clinton was the king of the five-point plan, the three-point plan, the four-point plan. Uh, Tim Scott was really the only one who put forward very specific proposals, uh, but because nobody tangled with him, he didn't get into any of the crossfire between Pence uh, and Ramaswamy or or, or Christie and Ramaswamy. Unfortunately, he kind of got lost in the wash, but he still turned in a very solid performance. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson actually bragged uh, about busting the Mexican drug cartels when he was a U.S. attorney, but fails to mention that when he was the U.S. attorney uh, in Arkansas, he was well aware of the fact that the Central Intelligence Agency uh, trafficked millions of dollars worth of cocaine through Mena, Arkansas, in order to sell it, to raise the funds, to illegally finance the Nicaraguan resistance uh, to the Sandinistas. Uh, this is documented uh, in a number of books. Uh, my book, uh, The Bush Crime Family, also my book, uh, The Clinton's War on Women, uh, Barry and the Boys, a number of other books. I have asked reporters to ask the governor. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton was asked about this in a presidential press conference. No, it's not a conspiracy theory, uh, but uh, the former U.S. attorney and governor, by the way, who would not raise his hand when asked whether he would support Donald Trump if he was the nominee, which is odd because he signed a pledge in order to get on the debate stage saying that he would support the Republican nominee. Uh, I'm not sure why he is running for president. His chances of being nominated are essentially nil. Then there was uh, uh, the uh, performance of Governor uh, Doug Burgum. I, I became so mesmerized uh, by Burgum's eyebrows uh, that I, I kind of lost track of what he was saying. It sounded pretty good to me, but I'm going to be candid. Uh, the way he looked, he kind of reminded me of Grandpa Munster. Uh, and clearly, uh, with North Dakota having very few electoral votes, uh, I think his chances of uh, uh, winning this nomination are thin. He's yet another one of the candidates, although I understand he is independently extraordinarily wealthy, and therefore he could fully fund a campaign uh, in the early uh, states of Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, and South Carolina, and perhaps uh, get into contention but he sure did not get into contention that night. Vice President Mike Pence came on much, much too hot. Uh, I think his shouting over Ramaswamy uh, was beneath him. Uh, he kept going over his allotted time, uh, and he clearly seeks to run on Donald Trump's record without uh, Donald Trump, which I don't think is going to be successful. Being at 7% in the polls when you have served it four years as vice president of the United States in a party where hegemony is very, very important, 
really is uh, extraordinary uh, in terms of the historical perspective. It, it is really hard to believe uh, that he's in single digits, and I don't think this debate performance is going to allow him to break out of them. Nikki Haley is essentially George W. Bush in high heels, ready to ship billions more to Ukraine without knowing where our money is going and where it is being sent. spent. Uh, he didn't, she did not, uh, in the exchange with Ramaswamy, I think Ramaswamy failed to make an important point, uh, which is when the Russians agreed to the reunification of Germany, we in return uh, agreed not to move NATO in the exact words of Secretary of State Jim Baker, one inch closer to Russia. And therefore, uh, our efforts to push NATO uh, uh, or Ukraine into NATO is a violation of the Minsk Accords. It's the violation of the agreement that we made in return for the Russians removing 400,000 troops from from Germany. Uh, and therefore, the only candidate on the stage who is not a neocon, who would not give a blank check to the Ukrainians, was Ramaswamy. I think this is one of uh, his strengths as a candidate, uh, as well as the idea that he is an outsider businessman. It is interesting that no candidate uh, was able to challenge him regarding some of the things in his resume, uh, which are certainly bubbling up on the internet, uh, regarding having been part of the World Economic Forum's Young Leaders Program, having been a Soros fellow. Um, this gives some pause to those who would otherwise be inclined to support him, or at least have him as their second choice. I thought surely one of these other candidates would raise that, uh, but they did not do so. Very surprising, uh, in my opinion. This week has been one of the most uh, disturbing that I have seen in a uh, in American politics. Uh, the weaponization of the judicial system for obvious political purposes uh, is really disgusting. Uh, ever the showman, Donald Trump turned his mugshot taken in Atlanta uh, into uh, uh, the occasion for his historic return to Twitter. Uh, I have always thought that while Truth Social, his social media platform, is great when it comes to speaking directly to the base, uh, that the 81 million followers that he has on Twitter would bring him a much broader audience. The president, when I raised this question with him multiple times, always told me that he intended to return to Twitter, now known as X, uh, when, quote, the right time came. Well, evidently, Thursday was the right time. Uh, and last time I saw, he had uh, almost uh, 80 million downloads of his mugshot uh, with the slogan, never surrender, and what he correctly called 
election interference. But to me, the most repugnant, repulsive thing about this week was the arrest and mugshotting of the greatest mayor in New York City history, Rudy Giuliani. What I saw in the arrest and mugshots uh, of the of America's mayor was an outrage. Rudy Giuliani is, without any question, the greatest mayor. Americans uh, or New Yorkers may have forgotten how dirty, dangerous, expensive, and broken New York City was uh, under Tammany Hall. I first met Rudy Giuliani when he ran against uh, City Clerk David Dinkins the first time. I met him at the wedding of actor Ron Silver, who is unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, I was a volunteer in that campaign. Uh, and uh, I remember that the conventional wisdom at the time was uh, that New York was broken and it could not be fixed. Uh, it took a rematch with Dinkins, uh, and Dinkins, who was a, a good man, but not a very good mayor. Uh, to put Rudy Giuliani in the mayor's office, uh, and he did exactly what he said he would do. Through his broken windows crime policies uh, and aided by one of the greatest police commissioners of all time, Bernie Carrick, uh, he made New York City one of the safest big cities in the country, uh, as well as one of the cleanest. And by cutting taxes, he returned opportunity uh, and uh, job growth uh, to, uh, to, to the city. Uh, he also, I think, should be remembered at this juncture for his heroic leadership after 9-11, where he rallied a shocked and dispirited city and nation. Uh, what did Rudy Giuliani do other than zealously representing the interests of his client as an attorney uh, and for this, they have essentially disbarred and tried to destroy him financially. Uh, when did it become illegal in the United States to question the irregularities and anomalies in an election? When did it become illegal to seek documented proof uh, of voter fraud and those uh, regularities? Uh, neither Donald Trump or Rudy Giuliani thought that more ballots were cast for Joe Biden then from Donald Trump, and they set out to prove it. That is constitutionally protected political activity. Uh, they did not seek uh, to, uh, to, they do not now seek to punish Rudy Giuliani. They seek to crush him, to destroy him. America's mayor deserves better. He is in the battle of his life. Uh, you can hear him every day weekdays here at WABC. Uh, he, there is no dampening of his fighting spirit either, much like the president. Uh, but in this battle of his life, Americans who want to help him can go to RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com. RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com. Uh, they have done everything possible to try to destroy him financially and personally. And now the indignity of his treatment by a politically motivated prosecutor, uh, which is uh, uh, literally a threat to his life, I think is outrageous. So I really ask people, 
to go to Rudy Giuliani Freedom Fund uh, dot com uh, and make a uh, a healthy donation. Um, after his presidential campaign uh, is well, let me see. Uh, speaking of obsessions, I was attacked three nights in a row this week on MSNBC because I correctly said that Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution gives authority to the state legislatures to to, uh, award uh, the, to certify the electors to the Electoral College. Also gives them the authority to review the voting results uh, and then make their uh, assertion and certification of the ballots. This is historically and legally correct. No, I never plotted to see, quote, fake electors. Uh, And uh, in truth, I had nothing whatsoever to do with the efforts to deny uh, or delay the certification of the Electoral College in the U.S. Senate or any involvement in Georgia or any other state for that matter. Uh, I did uh, write and speak about my concerns regarding the irregularities and anomalies in the election. And I did try to keep track and build a compendium of publicly published reports on voter irregularities and fraud. These are all constitutionally protected uh, activities, uh, and uh, they're now seeking to criminalize either political speech uh, or political activities. The smear machine at MSNBC is in high gear. They use selectively edited and manipulated videos uh, and artificial intelligence to actually put words in your mouth, things you never said. Uh, uh, This means a 50% increase in the death threats against me and my family. Uh, It has been uh, a a struggle, uh, but... uh, uh, I like the president, like Rudy Giuliani, I stand. Uh, it is uh, great to be here on WABC. I want to remind you to tune in for Joe Piscopo's great show, Sundays with Sinatra. But as for the Roger Stone show, uh, as the great Jackie Gleason would say, away we go. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. 
Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show. You can find us at 70, 70 on the AM dial, or if you're out of town, any place on the face of the planet, you can listen to us at wabcradio.com. Joining me now is Scott Adams. Scott Adams has one of the most pungent and informative Twitter feeds uh, in the blogosphere. He is an American author and cartoonist. He is, of course, the creator of the Dilbert comic strip, uh, also the author uh, of several books that we're going to talk about. Scott, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Thank you, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. So earlier this year, uh, uh, you your very, very popular and funny uh, comic strip, uh, Dilbert, was canceled by a number of major comic strip syndicates, or I should say newspaper syndicates, uh, and you had, uh, they claimed that you had made racially insensitive comments, and this was followed by the predictable uh, jackals in the media, fake media pile on. So I, I want to give you a chance to tell your side of the story. Well, you know, the, the public is easy to fool because there are a few things that they don't understand about uh, how the news works. And I'd love to get your opinion on this, but I've been saying for a while that there's no such thing as accurate news about public figures, meaning that all news is motivated. So even if you see something that you're sure you saw with your own eyes or heard with your own ears, and that's probably true, but anything out of context can be fully reversed. You know, I call it a rupar. If you change any of the context, you can not only confuse it, but you can actually make it its, its opposite. So uh, when you see any news about a public figure, just say to yourself, well, the, probably the real story has not been told. In my case, uh, I was offensive, but in, in service of a point which I thought was going to be good for everybody. But I never got to make that point because I got canceled worldwide uh, just for for uh, being offensive. Now, the other context that the public doesn't see is that, to the best of my knowledge, I've not been canceled by anybody Republican. And the other thing that people don't generally notice is that if they think of me as a cartoonist or an author, they would not be familiar with my political, uh, let's say, influence. Now, you, you pointed out to my Twitter feed, I've got a million followers, and I'm probably one of the more, let's say, of non-elected people. I'm one of the more influential voices. But if you weren't really following politics, you wouldn't know that. you just think I'm a cartoonist. But if I told you that I got taken out of context, was canceled by the Democrats in the year of an election, uh, you know, presidential election, uh, or the run-up to it, and it's in the context of other voices from Elon Musk to, you know, Jordan Peterson, uh, one by one, the players who have something to say that the mainstream doesn't want you to say are being taken off the board. And there's always a reason. Oh, it's uh, you violated this rule or the thing you said or the way you said it. And so there's a big pattern that is part of the story. But in terms of what I what I said that was offensive, here's the context. In a world in which uh, ESG and CRT and DEI are training the public, and this is specifically what they're telling the public and kids and people in corporations, that there's a, an oppressed class and an oppressor class, and that the, the white males especially are the oppressor class, 
and that the black Americans in particular are a victim class. If you're in that situation, that's very dangerous because you're looked at as the oppressor in a world where people think maybe they should act on that. Now, I'm not going to argue whether, you know, systemic racism exists because obviously it does the the school system is just uh, destroyed in my opinion by the teachers unions that's the strongest form of uh, systemic racism because it denies kids a good education which is the only way you can get past the existing systemic racism because there's always some right you could argue that you shouldn't care about it you should argue that it's somebody else's problem but you can't really argue that there isn't some lingering effect but my argument is this if you change the argument from the average of this group to the average of that group because that that framing is for politics that's somebody wants you to act a certain way for their benefit not yours if i wanted to help you you specifically an individual i would give you the tools for individual success which is what my book Reframe Your Brain is about, just what my last book was about, uh, um, How to Fill Almost Everything is Still Windick. And I'm working on a, a student guide that should be out maybe the end of the year that would teach the basics of personal success to people who had not been exposed. And here, here is my opinion, the biggest source of systemic racism outside the schools. The fact that um, there's one group of people in the United States who can't take the same path to success that everybody else takes, and that's imitation. So for me to be successful, I literally looked around and looked at successful people and said, all right, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'd read books, how they did it, and I would imitate the things that seemed to work and try to avoid the things that didn't. But now imagine that you've been taught that the successful people, or at least most of them, are your oppressor class. You know, the people who kept you in chains, you know, years ago and are still continuing to be bad to you. Could you imitate them? Could you dress like them, talk like them, you know, uh, be like them the way everybody else does to be successful? And I would say that that would be a tough sell. So the the training that one group of the country is getting is anti-success because it takes you away from the personal success model of what can I do individually to make myself bulletproof? You know, how can I assemble a set of skills that when you put them together, um, I turn into, you know, uh, a famous, successful anything. So I think the framing of the average of this group to the average of that group, one group's the oppressor, one group is the victims, guarantees that the people who have been told they're in the oppressed group uh, don't have the same tools for individual success that other people could just imitate because they see what successful people do. So I, I think that that was my bigger point. Now, the, the way I said it was to draw attention. I wanted to get everybody worked up and then listen to what I had to say. But in between the part where I got them all worked up and the part where I had something useful to say, <laughs> I, got, I got canceled worldwide. So that didn't work out for me. But I'm back. So my publisher canceled me. My syndication company canceled me. Uh, but I'm independently published now, and uh, I'm back. And Dilbert, of course, is still published but by subscription on on Twitter and also uh, the Locals platform. Well, join the club. I'm still banned for life on Facebook, banned for life on Instagram, banned for life on YouTube. Uh, YouTube, where you do a daily show, Coffee with Scott Adams, at 10 o'clock a.m., uh, I guess each weekday. I urge people to tune in for that. 
Uh, I saw your epic podcast with uh, my friend Roseanne Barr. In fact, I saw her yesterday in Las Vegas. Uh, this is this is an absolute must see, folks. You have got to tune in for this. The thing I like about Scott Adams is that he he pulls no punches whatsoever. He tells you what he really thinks, uh, and if you're offended, well, that's that's too bad for you. Uh, Scott, tell us more about your new book, Reframe Your Brain, uh, available both in paperback and in Kindle. It's now right now number one. Uh, on Amazon in the category of hypnosis, just to, to cheat here a little bit uh, and read from the cliff notes. Uh, in Reframe Your Brain, Scott Adams, uh, the contrarian genius behind Dilbert and author of the most influential personal successes book of all time, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, gives us uh, the complete operating system for lasting happiness. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a... That's quite a charge. Tell us about this book. So one of the things we learned from artificial intelligence is that they can build something that looks like intelligence just from looking at the patterns of words that people have spoken, which is a scary thought because it suggests properly that human intelligence is largely just word combinations that we imagine as thinking. Now, that explains a lot of what you see on on Twitter and the social media. It looks like people don't have thinking skills. It looks like they've just got some kind of word pattern recognition thing or some kind of team play thing going on. Now, my my, uh, window into this topic is that I'm a trained hypnotist, and uh, I'm also good at writing small sentences because I'm a, I'm a cartoonist. So I thought I would take the, uh, the unproductive ways that people think of things, turn it into a short, what I call a reframe, and reframes have been around forever. There's lots of them. These are just good ones. And using my hypnosis filter, I would pick the strongest ones and also made a bunch that uh, are my own. And they literally work um, to reprogram your head with no work except exposure to them. In other words, just hearing. I'll give you an example. Uh, One of my best reframes is alcohol is poison. Now, the way reframes work is they don't have to be literally true. They just have to give you the result you wanted. And I hear literally every day from people who stopped a lifetime of over-drinking because once they framed it as poison, it was easy for their brain to reject it. When they imagined it was a beverage or part of entertainment, they said to themselves, well, I'm thirsty and I like entertainment. So your brain just uh, takes that word pattern and acts on it. If you change the word pattern, just like AI, you change what looks like the intelligent result. So you change the word pattern in your head to alcohol is poison, and people just stop drinking, uh, many of them, the moment they read it. And that that's the amazing part. Now, if that sounds astonishingly unlikely, uh, you're going ha- to have to dig in a little bit to see how easy it is. Um, uh, you know, so the book has got 160 easy reframes. Um, <clears throat> let, let me give you another one, just to give you a flavor of it. A lot of people have uh, trouble with tragedy. Let's say there's a death. Maybe you've got a pet that's on the way out. And if you, if you think of death as this horrible tragedy, your brain will process it that way, and so will your body. And, of course, it is a tragedy. But, again, reframes don't have to be... Um, they don't have to be accurate or even logical. They, they just have to work. So the reframe for this death tragedy is that it's an honor to be the person who helps somebody into their next state of being, you know, the, the death. And if you're taking care of an animal that's got a few months left and you know it, there, there's no greater honor than being the one 
who can be with them and guide them to the next place. And I've heard from a number of people who, the moment they read it, their their feelings of you know just deep deep depression from the tragedy lifted immediately, and they just felt like they were in a privileged position. And uh, you know, of course, death is inevitable. So you know that part was not a subject argument. So anyway, the book is full of those that everything from mental health to success. I talk about systems over goals, uh, more into summary form. How to build a talent stack. These are all reframes. So the reframes of my first book were largely transformational in the business and uh, personal success world. You know, you've probably heard of systems better than goals. You've probably heard it from other people. Build a talent stack. You've heard that uh, passion is something you probably shouldn't pursue because, you know, it'd be better to work hard as something you can make work. And those are now messages that are part of the common understanding of smart people at this point. And those largely came out of my first book. I had a failed almost everything and still win big, which got canceled, by the way. But that's also back this week in the second edition. By the way, Amazon banned me for life uh, before we argued that away. They said it was a mistake. Well, uh, I'm glad that you are back, folks. You want to pick up your copy, uh, either uh, paperback or Kindle of Reframe Your Brain. It really does look delicious. Uh, I have ordered it. Look forward to reading it. I really like your your definition uh, of a, a rubar, uh, a rupar. This is exactly what Donald Trump is being charged with uh, in in Georgia. If anyone will take the time to read the entire transcript and listen to an audio of the entire conversation, he most definitely does not instruct the Secretary of State to, quote-unquote, find 11,870 ballots, votes. What he tells him is that he has already counted uh, that number of illegal votes. He goes on to break down the categories, convicted felons, uneligible to vote, people registered to vote from post office boxes, which is not uh, legal in Georgia, votes where the signatures don't match, which is not legal in Georgia, uh, people uh, who are deceased, uh, people who have clearly moved out of state. So Fannie Wills has taken a snippet uh, of something Donald Trump said. By the way, there were six lawyers on the call. Uh, in, the, in the 45 years that I have been in American politics, working for four American presidents. Uh, the whole the whole thing is almost beyond my comprehension. What Donald yeah. Trump did, uh, what his supporters did, uh, was to exercise their First Amendment rights to question the irregularities and anomalies in the last election uh, and to seek documented evidence uh, of those irregularities and voter fraud. And for yeah. that, he's being charged in some criminal conspiracy. Now, yeah, that, go ahead. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect group part. And the other one is when he was giving his speech on January 6th, the part the news leaves out is the, the peaceful part, you know, peacefully protest. So, yes. yeah, go ahead, go ahead with your point. But that you're right. Those are two rupars that are really obvious. Uh, you have been a, uh, a kind of a defender of Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, I like him. Uh, because uh, he's an outsider. Uh, I also like him because he's unabashed about uh, 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 the America First agenda. Uh, he has also brought optimism uh, and hope uh, 
uh, and a positive message back to politics, something almost evoking Ronald Reagan uh, and evoking Trump himself. Now, he has taken a lot of flack uh, for having been a, uh, a Soros fellow, uh, but based on what I've seen, he was already a millionaire. So this idea that Soros, you know, paid for his education, I think that that's a, a smear. Uh, it would be good if there was one place where a person could go to get the facts. I, I saw Vivek speak at the Turning Point USA event a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in Palm Beach, and I thought he handled these questions extraordinarily well, extraordinarily well. Uh, but because he's an outsider, uh, there's going to be uh, an effort to, to gang up on him. Uh, and uh, this is something... Uh, that I feel very strongly about. Uh, I also saw, I'm pretty sure it was your tweet, where you spoke about Robert F. Kennedy's voice. Yes. Uh, so I, 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 I'm yeah. a big fan of Robert Kennedy. Just to be clear to the trolls on Twitter, no, I'm supporting Donald Trump. I'm not secretly running Robert Kennedy's campaign. Uh, I didn't urge him to run. I am not advising him. I've met the man one time. He was very gracious. Uh, I think he's extraordinarily articulate. Uh, and frankly, uh, I get past the voice. He's so compelling uh, in the way he communicates that I, I don't notice it. But uh, some other people do. Tell us, tell us about this. Well, yeah, let me let me give you some uh, first the optimism that maybe your audience needs. There are three candidates that I believe are changing the country as candidates because their their messages are so strong. RFK Jr. is one. So win or lose, he's adding to the conversation in ways we've never seen. Same with Vivek. Win or lose, he's changing the way we're thinking about things. And Larry Elder, no, no matter how well they do, they're both in it for, in my opinion. Uh, helping the country with very specific messages that are clearly designed just to be useful. So I don't think I've ever seen candidates change the country, and three of them at the same time. This, this is wonderful, and RFK Jr. is right in the middle of this. All right, so the story of his voice, he has uh, something called spasmodic dysphonia, which is something that I had. Now, if you're saying to yourself, but wait, you don't talk like that, that's because I had surgery to correct it. Now, if you were to look on the internet and say, uh, "Where's that surgery?" and you know, isn't that wouldn't that be the first thing on every website that talked about it? Well, it turns out that there's another treatment called Botox. They can put the Botox into your uh, vocal cords, and if they squirt it in just right, for a little while you can talk better. But it's not a not a cure. However, it's really, really expensive, and the Botox people would really like you to know that that's the gold standard and the only way to treat it, even though it would keep you in a terrible situation forever because you'd never have a good voice with that situation. And the, the needle goes through the front of your throat to get to the internal back of your throat. It's a really big needle. I've had it. You don't want it. So you can uh, put your conspiracy theory hat on and ask yourself, why is it that Botox and the company that makes it funds a lot of the spasmodic dysphonia activity on the internet and yet if you look for the actual cure which you know exists because you're listening to me and the reason that i got the surgery is because i talked to the other people who have been cured but yet it seems to be scrubbed you'd have a far, hard time finding out it's a curable disease in fact when the news talks about rfk jr they say it's incurable that's actually the story but it's not 
Now, um, when people heard his voice and they knew about my voice travels because um, they were aware of my problems, I couldn't speak on the phone or, well, basically I was, I was way worse than he was. I couldn't really have a conversation whatsoever. And now I can, all fixed. But uh, the people asked me to make sure that RFK Jr. was aware of this because you can't find it just by Googling it. I mean, you really have to talk to people individually who know people to get you to a doctor who can get, do the surgery. So I uh, sent some messages a few different ways. I think I, I tried to reach him through social media. And he responded to me at, at one point recently, a few months, uh, uh, several months ago, I guess, um, to tell me that you know, I had inspired him to look for treatments, and he found a different kind of treatment, uh, different kind of surgery, or I'll, I'll call it a procedure, something physical that happened in his vocal cord area. I don't know the details. But uh, he, he took a path, apparently, that would be a quicker recovery, but less complete. So I think you notice that he's much better than he used to be, and he can get through long conversations that are completely understandable and like you said when when he starts talking content he just draws you in so you know you can actually forget about his voice for a while so the the real story here is that um, with just a little bit of information and just think of the irony i mean he's literally the big pharma attack guy and for can i swear i I can't swear on here you can't swear then i'll say darn it Think about the fact that he's the champion of these big pharma people are are fooling you, and that for years he had to endure this voice problem without knowing that there were treatments because you couldn't Google it. Just think about that. He had to hear it from the person the same way I did. I actually had to go from doctor to doctor until somebody gave me the truth. So that's a little backstory. So the reason that he's, in my opinion, that he's got voice enough that he can run and make such a difference, and I think he's making a big difference, is that he finally beat through the, uh, uh, I would call it a pharma barrier. Uh, I used to think censorship uh, was really the number one problem in the country because if people can't speak and communicate with each other, then there's no way to impart ideas and to rally the populace. I'm beginning to think that artificial intelligence is actually a bigger problem because in the last year, CNN, MSNBC, and the January 6th Kabuki Theater hearings all created or produced videos of me that were largely manipulated, selectively edited, in some cases, I think, completely falsified. Uh, And uh, I've seen videos online of Barack Obama, quote unquote, saying things that he most definitely never really said. What's your take on the dangers of artificial intelligence? Well, I think we're going to go through a period where it's uh, super dangerous just in the normal political way if there was something that somebody said was true that wasn't true. But we've always been in that world. Um, you know, Maybe it's a little different, but I wonder if the opposite won't happen where people will just believe, stop believing the stuff they see in the video. It takes a long time to learn that video can be reversed, meaning that you can see a real thing, but if, if the context were added, it would be the opposite of the thing you thought you saw. And that's the most important message. If you can learn that entire videos can be fake, and even real videos can be reversed in their meaning very easily with a quick edit, then then you've got a little bit of freedom from the, the brainwashers. By the way, Roger, the 
the, the big macro thing I think is happening, you know, this is my hypnosis filter as a, as a trained hypnotist. It, it looks to me that the, uh, the machinery of brainwashing has reached a level that has never been before. So persuasion is mostly your persuasion skill times how many people you can reach. Now, social media gives everybody 100% reach, and then you add to that uh, the skill of seeing what works. Okay, we tried this. It didn't get a lot of tweets. We tried that. It got a lot of tweets. Let's do more of this. So the ability of the brainwashers to completely control the, the public is at a level that's just unprecedented. I mean, if you looked at just the stuff that's happening this week, if there were any kind of an honest accounting of what's happening right now, I can't even imagine that even Democrats would allow it. You know, I'm talking about the uh, weaponization of the of the uh, Department of Justice in particular. Uh, with about uh, seven minutes to go, you uh, post on Twitter, the national incompetence problem has reached astonishing levels. Nothing works. The, I've never seen anything truer than that in my life. Try flying from South Florida to anywhere uh, in the country. Our public system is completely broken. Go to the grocery store. The shelves are empty. Uh, it is. Uh, uh, this all seems to me to be willful. Now, this isn't a mistake. Uh, these people are not pursuing uh, sincere but wrong-headed policies. There, there seems to be a, a willful effort, particularly with the wide-open borders to flood the country with illegals who are most definitely bringing drugs uh, and pestilence. Uh, this seems to be uh, uh, this seems to be the plan. Uh, am I right about that? Well, you know, it's hard to know what people are thinking that the border thing is the biggest head scratcher in the country right now, because I don't think there's anybody on any side who's OK with it. And, and how does that remain a fact <laughs> how do we keep doing something that nobody who is well informed would agree with uh, that part is just head shaking um, but in terms of the national incompetence problem there, there are a number of things happening at the same time one of them is that everything is more complicated have you ever tried to just sign up for a new app and suddenly you know your your email doesn't work and they text you something to the wrong place and you know it's just a nightmare to do Anything, any simple thing, like you said, just take a take a simple flight from one place to another. So part of it is complexity has reached the point where the average person can't deal with it, you know, without a great struggle. Secondly, there definitely is some, uh, let's say, some impulse in the country to ignore competence in favor of equity, and that has some effect. Uh, I don't have I don't have any way to know if that's a small effect or a bigger effect. But clearly we're not trying to be more competent. <laughs> Something else is going on. The, and this is why Vivek Ramaswamy is especially attractive, because he displays a level of competence that people have just never seen. I mean, we're not used to seeing a politician who has that much facility with language, that much understanding of you know broad issues from... He, he's, he's had experience in legal biotech, politics. I mean, he's basically can learn a new topic, even a complicated one, in, you know, minutes. Yeah, we're, we're dealing with a type of talent the country's never seen. Now, I know he's not your first choice, but don't you love living in a country where there is a Vivek? Like, like he's the reason, and people like him, you know, people who can operate at that level, 
that the country can stay great because you could have 90% of the people just, you know, getting by. But if you've got some stars who are still killing it, and he would be a good example, then you're still going to be okay. You know, we don't all have to be superstars, but you need a few. Yeah, I think he brings an optimism uh, uh, and a hope uh, and uh, and uh, an energy to the race that's very, very important. Clearly not one of those green eye shade Republicans, uh, the country club scolds, as we used to call them. All right, unfortunately, we are out of time. Folks, please grab a copy of Scott Adams' new book, Reframe Your Brain, uh, which is available at Amazon in both physical form and in Kindle. Uh, And let me thank uh, author and cartoonist Scott Adams for joining us right here on The Roger Stone Show. Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. This is Roger Stone on The Roger Stone Show here at WABC Radio. WABC making AM radio great again. Joining me now is President Donald Trump's campaign spokesman, uh, communications director, Jason Miller. Uh, And Jason has, uh, like the rest of us in the country, seen perhaps one of the most tumultuous weeks in American political history, uh, the full weaponization uh, of the political process, uh, pardon me, of the judicial process, in an attempt to criminalize uh, perfectly constitutionally protected political activity and speech. Uh, and he joins us now. Jason Miller, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Roger, great to be with you, and thank you for having me. So uh, President Donald Trump traveled to uh, Atlanta on Thursday to be arraigned, arrested, uh, fingerprinted, uh, mug-shotted, Uh, in what I think most Americans and more and more Americans are seeing as a political persecution based solely uh, in the uh, fear by the Democrats and their cohorts in the mainstream media that Donald Trump is on his way back to the White House. What what was it like uh, in Atlanta? Well, it was a bit surreal. I mean, every each of the times that we've had these these four indictments, they've been a bit surreal. That here's a former and, uh, if we're successful, future president of the United States that's being treated as if he was some sort of uh, uh, massive criminal or done some some kind of violent actor. And it's just remarkable of the this insurance policy that Joe Biden and Merrick Garland and even at some of the local Democratic uh, municipalities, the um, whether it be Alvin Bragg or even as we talk about Fonnie Willis, the lengths that they are going to to attempt to try to attack and humiliate President Trump. And what, the thing that really stood out to me, Rogers, we were driving in the motorcade from uh, Trump Force One when we landed in Atlanta going to the jail, 
was the amount of people who were standing along the sides of the street. And I'm not talking about we weren't going through some suburban neighborhood. We are going through Atlanta, largely African-American community, almost exclusively African community, African-American community in many of the, the streets that were going down. And the folks who were standing outside, smiling, giving President Trump the thumbs up, uh, doing the, the putting their hand on their chest and uh, put, then putting their hand out and showing that they're uh, signs of solidarity and they're with President Trump and the the love and feeling that was out there. And I think many of the folks who dealt with the um, the ridiculous um, aspect of, I guess, the uh, attacking members of certain communities really were able to relate with what President Trump was going through and saying, you know what, um, we got your back. Yeah, I think this is particularly true in the minority community where they have been subjected to abuse by the man, uh, and they see uh, in Donald Trump the exact same thing. Uh, one of the most important points I think he made in his epic interview with Tucker Carlson, which has now broken all internet records, the last time I looked at it was about 266 million viewers uh, dwarfing uh, Oprah Winfrey's interview of Michael Jackson, two Super Bowls, literally the biggest, perhaps I should say the hugest uh, internet uh, viewership in American history, is that this whole process is waking up the American people. More and more people just totally see through this. Well, they do. And the other thing is just uh, particularly when we talk about Fonnie Willis, who's the Fulton County DA, some of these these charges and these allegations are so ridiculous. So now it's a it's part of a, a RICO um, act or, or part. It's now criminal to tell people to turn on Newsmax or to tell people to watch right side broadcasting or OAN or any center right uh, news outlet. I mean, just some of these things, some of these people who are being pulled into this, in addition to President Trump. Uh, or just have, have nothing to do with this at all. And it's it's just quite remarkable the lengths that the Democrats are willing to go to to cause election interference. And it's you're exactly right there with the, the Tucker Carlson interview and where I think they really got down to it is this is the insurance policy that Joe Biden and the Democrats have to try to stop President Trump. And the big development this week on the political side, it kind of got dwarfed by the former and future president being indicted for a fourth time was the fact that the Democrats went up with a $25 million ad buy to try to pop up sleepy Joe Biden, or I guess you're now he's, he's crooked Joe Biden. That's unheard of. Roger, you've been doing uh, politics for a long time. There's never been a $25 million off-year ad buy for an incumbent president to, to try to prop them up. And they're the big focus of most of the ads on this, uh, this crazy idea that Bidenomics is somehow helping people as we're getting additional news, the interest rates are going to go up and inflation remains out of control. Yeah, it's really quite extraordinary. I mean, the average cost of groceries is up 76%. We're still seeing some of the highest gasoline prices in recent history. Uh, we seem to be, I think, squandering billions of dollars in Ukraine where we don't even have peace talks uh, ongoing. I mean, I, I really do believe that in this particular election, President Trump is the peace candidate. He is the one man uh, who has the credibility to solve that conflict and stop the killing. Uh, let's remember, it was Donald Trump who cut off the Russian pipeline. It was Donald Trump 
who gave offensive missiles to the Ukrainians when Barack Obama would only give them blankets. Uh, Donald Trump's unpredictability uh, in international affairs kept this nation's enemies at bay. Uh, The Russians did not invade Ukraine during the Trump administration. The Chinese did not make moves on Taiwan during the Trump administration because they knew that Donald Trump was unpredictable and he warned them about what he would do if they did that, uh, and they took him seriously. I don't think anyone takes Joe Biden seriously. I have serious questions either as to whether he can get to the end of this term. He, he seems to be in the throes of, you know, stage five dementia, according to some of the experts who have watched him. It's, it's for, as an American, it's, it's painful to watch. Uh, did the president, uh, I know he was obviously uh, interested, did the president watch the Fox uh, Republican candidates debate? You know, I know he definitely saw the highlights, but for all the time that I spent with him yesterday, I never asked the question, uh, did you watch it in real time or afterwards? But I know that he saw there were so many of the video clips that were up there. Um, you know, I, I know that the president thought that Vivek Ramaswamy uh, did very well in the debate. The Ron DeSanctimonious, of course, if you follow President Trump at all, you know that he always refers to Ron DeSantis as Ron DeSanctimonious or Ron DeSanctis, as you can't use them both in the same sentence. you got to alternate, um, as the president will point out. Um, I thought, as far as kind of the visuals, uh, Roger, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts here, I thought that moment when they asked for uh, hands to be raised, and um, this is regarding President Trump and a, a pardon of President Trump, and Ramaswamy's hand uh, goes up immediately, and DeSantis kind of starts to move his arm, and he looks to one side, and he looks at Ramaswamy, sees his arm uh, going straight up, and then slowly raises his hand. And it was just, I mean, you first of all, if you're doing the hand-raising game at the presidential level, that's, that's pretty stupid. Like President Trump knocked that down in 2016, said, hey, this whole thing is stupid. You guys ask a, a, a dumb question, and we have to go and raise our hands like we're, like we're just idiots. But the way that Ron DeSantis had to look to Vivek Ramaswamy to determine if he was going to raise his hand on how to answer a question, I think will be the image that for many people sticks in their minds. Yeah, look, if this was uh, supposed to be uh, Governor DeSantis's breakthrough moment, it, it just didn't happen. Uh, he he uh, seemed nervous. Uh, he seemed extraordinarily rehearsed. He, he turned his smile on and off like a strobe light, as if he suddenly remembered that his handlers had told him, remember, to smile. Uh, I, I, I Looking at today's, uh, or I guess yesterday's New York Post, I don't think he achieved what he needed to achieve. The winner of this debate was Donald Trump, and he won by not being there. Uh, and then all these candidates shouting over each other, uh, I, I found it nerve-wracking. Uh, I thought I agree with the president's view that Vivek Ramaswamy did extraordinarily well, but they kept cutting him off. They wouldn't, wouldn't let him finish his, his point. Uh, and uh, he played the outsider role. I think he was the one who, who, uh, who reflected the America first values. He correctly said that Donald Trump was the greatest president of the 21st century. I agree with that. That got the biggest, that got the biggest hand of the night. Uh, the fact that Chris Christie was roundly booed uh, when he attacked the president, I think, told you that even in this establishment Republican crowd, Donald Trump is the heavy favorite. 
I have no second thoughts about whether the president should have uh, should have uh, attended. I think he absolutely did the right thing. Uh, the president's mugshot was popped out very quickly. Uh, it now it's already on coffee mugs and T-shirts. Uh, I, rather than run for it, he has embraced it because it is a symbol of the abuse of our system and the weaponization of the judicial uh, system to stop a candidate for president. Uh, what do you expect the results uh, of uh, his arrest uh, this past week to be on both polling and fundraising? Well, I think for both polling and fundraising, it'll be a big boost. I think having that visual, which again, that this is what's unique for this uh, indictment, is the fact that there is the mugshot. I think this, it, it just... People, they hear about it, they see the motorcade, they see the live coverage on broadcast television, things of that sort. But it's different when you see that picture. And this is the first time this has ever happened to a former president of the United States. First time ever in our nation's history. And it's, it really puts it right in your face. Yeah, they, we are now a nation that, that tries to jail or indict political opponents. Uh, uh, Roger, we've traveled the world. We've been to a number of countries where that's kind of commonplace. Uh, if, <laughs> if you look what's happening in uh, in Brazil, for example, President Bolsonaro loses the election and now they're going to try to throw him in jail or place like Colombia, uh, other countries around the world. That's not supposed to happen here. That's one thing that's supposed to set the United States apart is that you don't weaponize the judicial system. You can't lock up someone just because they're your opponent. Uh, but, you know, we see with these cases, especially this this funny Willis, which, you know, we only have so long on your show, but I could go on all day about funny Willis. The fact that they sit on this for years and then they pop this case and they say, oh, we want to go and try to um, uh, put you to trial in the middle of an election. Literally, some of these things are lined up for, say, the day before Super Tuesday, um, two weeks before the Iowa caucuses. President Trump is exactly spot on. This is election interference. This, this isn't happening um, because people want to try to get to the bottom of some incident that happened. This is happening because they want to stop President Trump from getting back to the White House. Yeah, I think there are three goals. One, of course, is to drain him financially uh, so that he has to spend money uh, on lawyers uh, to defend himself and others instead of spending it on his campaign, all of which is perfectly legally. Secondarily, it interferes with his campaign schedule, takes him off the road, where he is without any question the most dynamic campaigner uh, in in Republican Party history. Look, I worked for Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was a great president. He was very, very popular. But Ronald Reagan could not get a crowd of 45,000 people uh, in Pickens, South Carolina. There's no other figure in any strata uh, of celebrity, not, uh, not an athlete, not an entertainer, uh, not a politician uh, who, can, who can draw this kind of visible public support. It's one of the reasons I knew that he was going to beat Hillary Clinton, because he would get 35, 45, 50,000 people at a rally, and she would have trouble getting 200 people, 300 people. Uh, we saw this again, although less because of the COVID lockdowns. Uh, but uh, Joe Biden uh, going to a union hall in Philadelphia had trouble getting more than 200 people. Uh, now, these are these. This is not scientific data. It's anecdotal. But I think it is. I think it is meaningful. 
So in a very weird way, I mean, I was there uh, at Mar-a-Lago when the president announced his reelection. I thought his speech was good. I thought he felt a little constrained to me. Uh, I thought that the that his supporters were a little muted. Uh, in a, in a very strange way, uh, and to, and totally, uh, uh, I think, uh, contradictory to what you would expect, this unprecedented attack on Donald Trump has turbocharged his campaign for president. Yeah, uh, no, you're exactly right because people feel like they are being attacked in this. And we see, you know, whether it's the uh, crooked Hillary and her basket of deplorables comment in 2016, and now we see Rhonda Sanctimonious with his listless vessels, which, uh, by the way, I, I, he's attempting to attack all Trump supporters and it, with one of the weirdest insults I've ever heard. It's just, I mean, who even talks like that? Uh, but uh, Trump supporters feel like they're under attack. I mean, there's a reason uh, when they're going to the grocery stores, as you reference, and prices are through the roof or going to the gas station and filling up because guess what? Most uh, mega supporters um, don't live in places that have a whole bunch of mass transit, have subways and things like that. They have to actually go and fill up their vehicle to get to work every day. And things have become so expensive and housing expensive. Sometimes folks have to live further away to get to wherever their job is. Uh, people who can sing back right now the lyrics to rich men north of Richmond. Uh, that's not something that they had to learn about on, say, um, uh, you know, CNN or MSNBC, you know, almost like it's a uh, like they're zoo animals that are being watched. Like, look at these mega supporters. And this is these are people who are feeling the pinch every day. And now you have the weaponization uh, and this lawfare that's coming at President Trump. And, and people feel like they are under attack when they see President Trump. They're like, you know what? That's what they want to do to every single one of us. Yeah, I've the, I've never seen anything quite like the energy of this campaign. And I am a veteran of 13 national Republican presidential campaigns. Uh, but as I said earlier, the, if you delve into these poll numbers, uh, there's an intensity of support uh, that even the great Ronald Reagan did not have. In other words, these the Trump voter will never leave Donald Trump. And the number of Trump voters grows every time they attack him. Uh, I had the privilege of traveling with the president uh, and with Jason and others on the staff and a great trip that what took us to Iowa uh, and then to Las Vegas and then to California. Uh, and what continues to amaze me is Donald Trump's energy, his energy level for a man who's 77 years old. Uh, he is he's he's a bullion. In other words, he's 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 determined. He's resolute. Uh, he's a little angry. I think he's right to be angry. No former president should be treated this way. And the charges against him are so uh, so thin, uh, so so fabricated. I think it's a, uh, but it's a recognition uh, that none of this would be happening if he wasn't leading the Republican field with. 40, 50 percent, I mean, more than two to one over the second runner, who I'm not even clear who that is at this point. Uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has spent millions and millions of dollars and has really nothing to show for it. He's not even a certain, he's not even certainly in second place in a number of key states. Vivek Ramaswamy, who spent very little, is in second place. Uh, so I, I, I don't I don't know at the end when this is all over, 
perhaps Governor DeSantis can get a job doing Ozempic commercials. Uh, I think that his, <laughs> his candidacy is really just about done. Uh, but Jason, you've been through the Republican contest. I mean, what do you? where do you think the Republican contest stands? We both agree that Trump will be the nominee. The question I get most often is, where does he go for a vice president? You know, it's a great question on that. And having been with him for just a little bit of time before he selected then-Governor Mike Pence, I'd only been with him for, I guess, maybe a month, month and a half, somewhere in, in that stretch. Um, but then obviously been with him a longer time for this one. You know, I think most of the, the professional political prognosticators look and say, this person, uh, this potential candidate might help with a certain state or help with a certain demographic or might help with a certain ideological group. And they really put, uh, they really overcomplicate and overthink this. I think President Trump is going to go with someone who he feels comfortable with, someone who he genuinely likes to be around, someone who he thinks understands the movement, understands populism, someone who could be that flag bearer for the the mega movement in the future as well, someone to help carry on the Trump legacy. And I think it's going to be much more about familiarity and comfort level as opposed to uh, some politically uh, strategized or poll-tested thing about, you know, let's go with this person because it helps us with this group and we, we move some numbers. He wants someone he likes. Yeah, I think it's important to note that uh, that these things are changing. So prior to the election of Donald Trump, no person who had not been a governor, senator, congressman, or a general had ever been president of the United States. The Republicans nominated a businessman, Wendell Wilkie, in 1940. He ran the strongest race against Franklin Roosevelt of the four uh, elections in which Roosevelt was on the ballot for president, but he was still defeated. Uh, so the election of Donald Trump is outside the box to begin with. Uh, and uh, therefore, I think he can cast an extraordinarily wide net uh, when it comes to choosing a vice president. Folks, this is The Roger Stone Show. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Jason Miller, communications director, and in this case, spokesman for President uh, Donald Trump. So, uh, Jason, uh, let me ask you about the former first lady. I have known Melania Trump since uh, 19, uh, 90, uh, 1999. Uh, she is one of the most gracious, cultured, kind, uh, educated uh, people I have ever met. She she doesn't like the spotlight. She certainly did her 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 functional duties as first lady, uh, and she we have seen her at key points. How is she bearing up uh, under this outrageous assault on her husband? She sounds like she's doing very well. It's and usually when I speak with the the first lady, uh, it's while I'm with the president, or sometimes he'll put her on the phone, or we'll have a uh, a discussion. Usually, if I'm calling directly, it's for an ask, uh, and so I, I I try to limit some of those phone calls so I don't seem like I'm always just asking for something. Um, but every time uh, that I've spoken with her, she's been in great spirits and holding up, and, and really for everyone in, in the Trump family, whether you're talking about. Uh, his adult children. We talk about even Barron when I've seen him a couple of times when I've been at Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster. Um, the entire family seems to be holding up, and it's it, it it's remarkable. Even last night when I was with the president, we were flying to and then back from Atlanta. Just 
how, as you referenced, how much energy he has and how upbeat he is. Uh, yes, uh, understandably annoyed that uh, he's getting indicted for a fourth time. Uh, but the entire family, including the first lady, really seem to be uh, doing well and in, in feeding off the energy and the love and support that people give them. And that makes a big deal. If you imagine just having this crush of these, having your home raided at, at Mar-a-Lago, um, all of this, this crazy antics from the, the FBI. We've seen it from Russia, 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 all the way until now with the boxes hoax and Tony Willis and all this garbage. Uh, when they, when the Trump family sees and feels all the support from people, it, it really keeps them going. Uh, how much of what we are seeing is a willful effort to distract from the outrageous corruption uh, of the Bidens? In other words, if we, if Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump got a multi-million-dollar wire from Russia or Ukraine or China or Romania. What, where would they be right now? Uh, I think they'd be in solitary confinement. Uh, I think they would have been put through the, the ringer and uh, had the entire weight of the justice system thrown at them. Um, and it, it, we see this double standard with Hunter Biden, uh, where, uh, to, just to be clear, Hunter Biden receives cash to then go and try to his influence, influence his then-vice president, father now president father to for government action for government favors can you take this meeting can you go and uh, have this policy action can you give the appearance that you support a particularly um, a particular policy prescription so then we can go and cash in off it and it's not just hunter it's frank and james joe biden's brothers i mean this biden inc this family racket that they've had going for better part of a half century, first with his brothers and, and now with his son, Hunter, uh, it's disgusting. And people see it. And that's where they, they see exactly what's going on here. How does Joe Biden, who's been this career civil servant, have all these houses everywhere? How does he have this beach house? How is he worth? How is he a multimillionaire? Um, you don't get that from making a, you know, a hundred and, you know, starting at some point at hundred and something thousand. I think it's up at 180,000. President gets a little bit more. Uh, but you get that when your family members are selling access to you. Yeah, it's really quite extraordinary. I, I'm always amused that the people who jump and down and scream about the rule of law have no problem with the FBI stonewalling uh, the request by a Republican Congress to see documents and government records that they are legally entitled to. Uh, we had Garrett Ziegler uh, of the Marco Polo Research Group on the show last weekend. He's done a phenomenal job of taking the actual results of Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, annotating it with footnotes and making it understandable, not changing it in any way. By the way, folks can go to marcopolousa.org and you can order a copy or you can actually download it. It is shocking. They have blurred the images, so it's not pornographic. But uh, it's, first of all, it's so far ahead. Uh, Ziegler is so far ahead of the House Republicans, he could actually help them. Uh, but uh, do you know, uh, Jason, if the president has urged Speaker McCarthy to move forward with an impeachment inquiry? So I've seen where the president has said that it's something that needs to be looked at, but I haven't seen him do the direct push. I've not seen him go and say, hey, guys, we need to go and start uh, impeaching Joe Biden. Now, I look at it from someone who 
uh, is obviously tracking the news every day, every day and seeing this and saying with all these money uh, wires coming in from all these different foreign accounts into random family members and putting things in other folks' names, shifting titles around on different things. And, and this is very clearly a, a cover-up operation. Um, I think that that's where the House um, leadership needs to go. But I've not seen the president himself make that push to, to House leadership. But, um, uh, boy, something's got to be done here because this is, is uh, Joe Biden's easily the most corrupt president that we've ever had. Just as a political observer, do you think uh, Joe Biden gets to the finish line? Do you think he do you think he, he I mean, he doesn't have to file in the Democratic primaries and caucuses until the very it's, it's actually the beginning of December. I have serious questions about whether or not he can he can hold it together to run for reelection. I'm not saying that he will resign. I thought there was a, some point at which I thought that he might be forced out by his own party. But I read the increased mainstream media coverage of the Biden corruption as a sign that the political establishment, which is dominated by the Democrats, have decided that Joe uh, is dispensable uh, and that the burden of the Biden crime family corruption, when combined with the disastrous impact of his policies, is just a burden too heavy to bear. Now, I've talked to the president about this. I know he'd like to run against Joe Biden because uh, he doesn't feel he was treated fairly in the last election, which he absolutely believes that he won. Therefore, he'd like a rematch. I think that's understandable. But uh, do you think Joe Biden will make another? Can he actually campaign? Uh, The man can barely stand up. It's it's pretty bad. And I think that President Trump even has some serious questions about whether or not Joe's going to make it to the finish line here. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why you've seen President Trump pick up uh, some of the rhetoric a bit and and, um, call out Kamala Harris a bit more in that. The Tucker Carlson interview, President Trump was pretty hard both on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris alike. And I think that President Trump senses that Joe Biden, there's a good chance that he just doesn't make it. The, you know, I predicted uh, back in 2021 that this election would end up being President Trump versus Gavin Newsom uh, in the general election. This is when I, after I left working for the president for the second time and it started a social media company and then uh, obviously now back full time with President Trump. But I thought it would be because the Democratic power brokers would go and try to push Biden aside, realizing uh, he's kind of the, the useful idiot for them. Uh, the first go round, they no longer need him. But I, you see the falling asleep. You see the, the cognitive abilities clearly impaired. I mean, even from a, the most impartial uh, observer, someone who's even uh, nonpartisan looks and says, hey, there's something not right with that guy. He, he just he, he can't function. There are the stories written that um, he's only up, you know, uh, he's only functional four or five hours a day. By the way, I did mention in an interview with Major Garrett on uh, CBS the other day that, um, President Trump is already going to debate Joe Biden any time, and he'd like to do it. We'll, we'll even do it during the four or five hours a day that uh, Sleepy Joe is awake. And Major gave me a, a curt reply and said they weren't going to air that uh, because they don't have proof that Joe Biden's only awake four hours a day. And I was like, okay, well, I'll say Joe Biden's only awake six hours a day. Uh, but anyways, any of those, whether it's four or five or six hours, President Trump's already going to debate him. I think the president has real questions about whether or not Joe Biden's going to be able to make it to the finish line. So uh, a historic thing happened this past week. Donald Trump returns to Twitter. 
Uh, Donald Trump, of course, uh, has uh, an interest in Truth Social, which is a great social media platform. Uh, I'm very active there, but the president uh, had uh, a historic relationship with Twitter. Twitter, now known as X, played a crucial role in his uh, rise and election in 2016, played a crucial role in 2020, although I believe at that time he was heavily shadow banned and censored. Uh, and then ultimately he was banned and the new owner, Elon Musk, brought him back. Uh, I noticed that uh, that and he, whenever I asked him about this, he said he would return at some point. That's what he always said. I'll return at some point. He has now returned. How did that happen, Jason? So we were on the plane last night coming back from Atlanta, and uh, his attorneys got were, uh, were sent the mugshot, and the president was uh, drafting a true social posting that he was going to put up, uh, which he ultimately did, that um, said election inter- mugshot, and then he had the date, August 24th, 2023. Uh, he wrote election interference and then never surrender with an exclamation mark. And he said, I'm going to put this up on True Social. And so he gets ready to do that. Then he kind of pauses and he looked at the the team that was with him. He goes, what do you think about me putting this on Twitter? And all of us who were there with him uh, immediately said, yes, this is going to break the Internet. Um, and this is you framing this in, in your terms. Because when people see that image, it, just, it, it causes a visceral reaction for people like, you're actually forcing a former president of the United States to get this mugshot. And uh, I do not expect uh, that President Trump is going to be regularly posting uh, back on Twitter. I mean, he loves True Social. He said that's his home. But to, you know, he does have, uh, what is it, 86, 87 million followers on Twitter. So it got that message out at a completely uh, different level. And, uh, you know, now that the 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 way that this it did, it basically broke the Internet. I mean, the Internet last night was everything was about President Trump's mugshot. So it was a, um, a massive political bomb that he dropped and the surprise of him coming back. I, I again, don't think we're going to see him active on Twitter, uh, but it, it really sent a message uh, for that to be his post. All right, we are out of time. Let me thank Jason Miller, the communications director for President Donald Trump's re-election campaign, for joining us today on The Roger Stowe Show. Very, very glad to have you on. Many thanks, Jason. Thank you, Roger. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone and this is The Roger Stone Show. You can find us at 770 on the AM dial or we are streaming worldwide at wabcradio.com. Joining me now is one of the uh, rising stars of the Republican Party, Congressman Byron Donalds, who represents southwestern Florida, uh, has really emerged uh, as a major defender of President Donald Trump uh, in this outrageous uh, witch hunt. I guess this is witch hunt number four. Maybe it's five. It's hard to keep track. Uh, and, uh, you've seen him on Fox, uh, you've seen him on CNN. He's not ever afraid to go into the lion's den. Congressman Donalds, welcome to the Roger Stone show. 
Roger, how are you, man? It's, it's good to be on your show. Uh, these are dark days for America. Uh, as a 45-year veteran of American politics, it's very hard to see what's uh, unfolding right before us. We've now come to a point in America where expressing your concerns or challenging uh, the results, the anomalies, the irregularities in an election is deemed a crime and trying to collect documented evidence of voter irregularities and fraud. Uh, that's part of a conspiracy. How did we get to this place? I think we got here because, you know, the radical left really thought, and this even goes back to the Obama years, um, they really thought that they were on this path to fundamentally transform this country. I think people forget that that's what, uh, you know, Barack Obama said a couple of years before uh, he won the, the, uh, the presidency back in 2008. And ever since then, they've been on this path of radical transformation. And for these people, nothing will stand in their way. You know, when Donald Trump came in, you know, that was a shock to them. Like, they're, they're still in disbelief that he ever... Uh, took the uh, the oath of office to be president of this country. And what it really meant for them was that, that it was a roadblock to the agenda that they've been fighting for. Like, I, I tell people all the time that this, this version of the Democrat Party, or the radical left within the Democrat Party, they only care about the agenda, and they will use anybody, they will destroy anybody, they will defame anybody that stands in the way of that agenda. And when you look at it in that vein, then you can see how we've gotten to a place where, you know, President Trump has now been indicted for a fourth time. Parents became domestic terrorists for caring about their kids' education. Members of our military were discharged for refusing to take a COVID vaccine. Um, and so many other things. And, and the federal agencies have been spying on, on, on the American people and or suppressing the speech of the American people. It's all about the agenda. And it's always about the agenda for the radical left. And so what it requires is for, you know, Americans, people who don't have to always agree, but understand that America is a place where freedom and liberty is the number one ethos of our country above any political agenda. We all have to stand up to that. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm glad that President Trump is doing it. And Roger, I know you've been doing that all your political life. Many people feel that the House Republicans have been slow on key issues before the Congress, such as the potential impeachment of Joe Biden, uh, if not uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, the border crisis, the weaponized DOJ and FBI. Uh, there are certainly members there who've done yeoman service. Uh, I think, to be fair, uh, I'm not sure everybody understands the extent to which they are hamstrung by agencies of government that simply refuse to turn over information that the Congress is legally entitled to. But do you think uh, that we are moving towards uh, an impeachment of Joe Biden based on what you've seen so far? I do. I, I really do. And look, when we took over the majority, the first thing we wanted to do was actually get back to some semblance of order and process. Like, you know, a, a legislative body is messy. It's messy. It takes a lot of work. And what we saw when Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House is no member of Congress had a say. Even the Democrat members, they didn't have a say. It was Nancy Pelosi's way, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. And that might make, you know, the political left feel good, but it's terrible for a democratic republic like ours. 
So it, when you restore regular order, what it means is it takes time to build cases. You have to go through investigations. Um, and so what we've done with respect to Joe Biden is we have gone through a systematic investigative process. The things that we've uncovered the last six months, uh, the Department of Justice, mostly because they've been obstructing justice, they couldn't uncover that in six years. We've done it in six months. I think when we get back to Washington, I think an impeachment inquiry in the Judiciary Committee will begin. And it'll, it will give some of the members of our of our party who are concerned about impeachment simply because, you know, they don't want to be seen as, as doing tit for tat. Uh, when we demonstrate all the information in totality, even they will see that Congress has a responsibility to hold the inquiry and then potentially lead to articles of impeachment um, of Joe Biden. But look, Roger, I'll tell you, you know, I, I started in politics as an activist. I was in the Tea Party movement a decade ago. So I understand people saying that you guys aren't doing enough, not moving fast enough. But we also have to, you know, we have to restore the validity of our institutions. I do firmly believe that. The Democrats pay lip service to that because it sounds good in talking points, but they're the ones that are actually destroying the validity of our institutions right now. We have a responsibility to restore that because it's, it's, it's crucial for the continuance of, of America. It, it really is. And so I think we have a responsibility to do it the right way. You know, I think to the stuff about about the border, one of the reasons why we are hamstrung is because Senate Republicans led by Mitch McConnell, they teamed up with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden to pass that omnibus deal right before Christmas. Uh, Well, we took over the majority after the election, but they voted for this omnibus package. And when they did that, it locked in all federal spending until September 30. We're coming up to that point right now. So what House Republicans, specifically Freedom Caucus members and and other members, RSC members and some other members of our conference, we're pushing back hard saying we are not interested in funding a government that doesn't secure our southern border. That makes no sense at all. And so I think what people are about to see is a serious battle over federal spending and border security is going to be at the heart of it. Uh, you know, I do think that the Democrats uh, rush to judgment at a minimum. They really ne- ha- never had legitimate grounds, and they tried to impeach President Donald Trump first uh, uh, over the Russian collusion hoax, which we now know, based on John Durham's report, was a complete fraud. There was no probable cause. There was no evidence whatsoever of Russian collusion with the Trump campaign, yet they they based their illegal FISA warrants to spy on Trump and his campaign on it. They they opened the FBI's counterintelligence investigation crossfire hurricane based on it. They mm-hmm. they uh, appointed Robert Mueller, a special counsel, who tried to destroy my life over fabricated process crimes uh, over it. So I, I agree uh, that... Uh, that to bring the entire caucus along, because I think people don't really appreciate that Kevin McCarthy does not control every single vote in the caucus. He has to get consensus, and ultimately uh, he has to get uh, a complete consensus in his caucus because the margin in the House is very thin. So we we have to have the goods. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, and I, I think Congressman Comer, uh, who's appeared here on WABC radio, did a great interview 
with John Katsimatidis. Uh, I think he's done an extraordinarily job, but it has to be frustrating when you don't get the cooperation of the executive branch of the government and they won't turn over bank records and other records uh, that the Congress is legally entitled to. It's so funny that the left jumps up and down and screams about the rule of law, except for when they violate the rule of law. Listen, you're 100% right. This administration is the worst at this. And I've talked to some of the members who were around when the Obama administration was there, and they said the Obama administration was really bad, but they've never seen anything like this. Joe Biden just doesn't – it's not that Joe Biden doesn't respond to the press. His administration doesn't respond to anybody. And so you have a, uh, an executive branch that is literally acting as if they are a monarchy which is a complete violation of separation of powers. People think of the, the student loan bailout that got thrown out by the Supreme Court, thankfully, but the student loan bailout is just the one big thing you see. People don't remember that when the Democrats were in charge and they controlled all three branches of government, one of their budget reconciliation bills they tried to put through, they were going to allow the Treasury Department to spy on the bank accounts of every American. They were going to allow that by by law. And the only reason why it didn't go through is because you had Democrat voters in Democrat districts saying, that's insane. Get your hands out of my pocket. And that's the only reason why today the Treasury Department isn't involved looking at the banking transactions of every American. That's how diabolical these people are, Roger. They don't care about the law. They care about their agenda. And if it means that they will ignore the Constitution or ignore the law or they won't comply with Congress, then that's what they will do to accomplish this. And so I think the, the number one issue that has to get cleaned up in our country, in my view, number one, yes, the southern border has to be secured. But number two, the federal agencies have to get cleaned out because it's a serious problem for our country. Uh, your colleague, Congressman Matt Gates, has suggested defunding the Department of Justice, defunding the FBI. It is true that Republicans don't control any branch of government. They only have control of the lower house of Congress. And therefore, it's important that that power be wielded uh, in an aggressive manner in order to ensure uh, that we restore integrity into these agencies. I mean, when I grew up, J. Edgar Hoover's book, uh, Masters of Deceit, uh, about the communist uh, conspiracy uh, here and abroad, was given to every single elementary school child in the country. Today's FBI appears to me to be a rogue agency uh, harassing uh, pro-lifers, uh, showing up at the home of pro-life activists with guns drawn, uh, harassing, taking down the license plate numbers uh, of parents who go to school board meetings to object to the curriculum being taught to their children. Uh, how do we get these rogue agencies to obey the law and get them back to their core mission? Look, I agree with my colleague, the other gentleman from Florida. I think he's correct. We have to use the power of the purse. It's the only way until we have back until we win back the White House. It's the only way you bring these agencies to heal. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen, you have the ranking file in the FBI, who a lot of them are following orders. They are they are good men and women. They love this country. It's the political brass at the FBI 
it's the political brass at the Department of Justice where the problems really are. So in my mind, there's a there's a there's a thing we call in, in Capitol Hill called the Holman Rule, where you can literally go after specific people and start stripping out their salaries. We should do that. If you're talking about the appointees levels in these agencies, we should we should uh, sufficiently curtail their spending and what they're allowed to spend money on. We should do that. We should put specific rules into how the government is funded with respect to these agencies about the things that they are not allowed to do. We should do all those things out of the House. Now, the Senate under Chuck Schumer will say that's unreasonable, and they'll just say no altogether. And my view is very clear on this. If, if the Senate led by Chuck Schumer and the executive led by Joe Biden say that there can't be restrictions on these agencies, that doesn't stop the agencies from doing their core mission and their core functions, then why would we fund them anyway? We'll be funding our own demise, and that is insanity. Uh, Congressman, did you, uh, I know it had to be difficult. I end up watching the Fox uh, presidential candidates debate first and then watching the interview with Tucker Carlson and President Trump later, uh, both of them uh, interesting. Trump's uh, interview, I thought, has now broken all. The last time I looked, it was around 260 million views, uh, eclipsing Oprah's previous interview with Michael Jackson and two Super Bowls. It now remains the single most uh, widely watched event on the internet in the history of the world, which is really quite something. Did you uh, tune in to, uh, to the Fox debate? Uh, so I was there. I was in Milwaukee. So I was there live for the debate. It was interesting. Um, look, I think that the number one thing is nobody really broke out in that debate, if you will. I, there's some people I'm questioning why they're running for president altogether. Like, I don't get Asa Hutchison. I don't get Chris Christie. Um, you know, uh, Doug Burgum, who I actually liked, I thought he was really good. I, I just don't see a path. I don't see a path for Mike Pence. That is, I don't. I don't understand that. And so, you know, that basically cuts you down to four people. But the reality is, none of them, from what I saw in that debate, have have the had did anything to basically galvanize all the support in our party that's not currently with President Trump. And until one of these other candidates finds a way to do that. Donald Trump's going to be our nominee. I mean, personally, I think he's going to be the nominee regardless of whatever happens. But those other candidates, they got to, somebody's got to find a way to break through and separate themselves from that pack, if you will. And I don't think any candidate did that. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. I don't think there was any consolidation of the field. and It certainly didn't narrow the field down to one or two candidates. Uh, I, I kind of was tickled by President Trump's uh, posting on True Social uh, a couple weeks ago where he said, prior to announcing, I guess at about the time he announced he would not be attending, he said uh, he considered the debate an audition for vice president, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, I really, the one guy I think was very underrated in all honesty and did not get enough time was Senator Tim Scott. Uh, one of the noticeable absences in the entire uh, debate where you had a lot of canned and pre-scripted lines, but very few people laid out a specific plan to change things, to improve things. Tim Scott did that. Uh, he didn't attack any other candidate. I think that was also uh, important. Um, I, I thought he really 
handled himself extraordinarily well. And while I don't think he's going to be nominated for president, uh, he now moves to the top of my uh, my personal list for vice president. I think he'd be uh, one of several. Uh, Nikki Haley, you know, that's that's George W. Bush in heels. I mean, I, I just uh, giving a blank check to Ukraine doesn't make sense to me. What is your view on our current support for Ukraine, which is now into uh, last time I looked about one hundred and thirty one billion dollars? Well, look, I'm, I voted against the last two supplementals, and the way this thing is starting to look like it's coming out of the White House, I'm going to vote against the third supplemental. We, there's no accountability. There's no inspector general on any of this money. It's literally a blank check. And so do I want Putin to take over Ukraine? No, I absolutely do not. Um, do I think that the United States has a responsibility to help Ukraine? I do, and that's because we signed an agreement uh, frankly, with Russia at the time and with England, that we would all protect Ukrainian sovereignty. So I think if the United States says it's going to do something, it should do it. But there's two major issues around Ukraine. One is the fact that Joe Biden is, is frankly, just a loser. He's not a leader. He's, he's the one that's gotten us into this Ukrainian conflict. And so we're expecting him to lead us out of it. Like, that's never occurred. So that's a major problem with number one. Number two, our southern border is a mess, but we're protecting the Ukrainian border. And I think there's a lot of people in our country who are saying, why are we sending money to Ukraine when we can't secure our own border? And you just had wildfires in Maui, and those people got $700. That just makes no sense. With Ukraine specifically, we're in a tough spot because if Russia takes over, Russia will now control 80% of grain in the world. Russia will control that if they take over Ukraine. That's a serious problem for us and for so many other countries. So we're in a rock and a hard place. What I want to see is serious accountability for the money that has been spent and what is going to be spent. And the other thing we got to have is you got to secure our southern border. And my mission, my message to Joe Biden is you want to protect Ukraine's border, protect ours first, and we'll help you protect Ukraine's. Yeah, I think lost in the, in the debate, particularly in that flashpoint between uh, former Vice President Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy, is people don't recognize that when the Russians agreed to unify Germany uh, and uh, to withdraw 400,000 troops, we agreed specifically in the Minsk Accords, uh, and to quote James Baker, the Secretary of State at the time directly, that we would not move NATO an inch closer to Russia. Uh, we right. know for a fact that the missile silos have already been put uh, in Ukraine, as well as other Eastern European countries. Uh, I'm old enough to remember how we reacted when the Russians uh, put missiles uh, in Cuba. Uh, I thought that Vivek could have done a better job of explaining his deep concerns about current U.S. policy. Uh, that was also true uh, in his exchange uh, with Nikki Haley. Uh, we have 370,000 homeless veterans in this country. Uh, our border is not only wide open, terrific piece in the New York Post this last week where we have actually welded the doors open. Uh, yet Mayorkas, uh, the Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, comes before the Congress and says with a straight face that our border is secure. Uh, do you think House Republicans... Uh, should move articles of impeachment against uh, Secretary Mayorkas? I do. We should be doing, doing that with, with uh, 
Mayorkas because he's lied to Congress. And I'll add one more to it. I think we should begin proceedings on Merrick Garland. Um, I think I think with uh, Mayorkas, he's lied to Congress repeatedly. They are doing things to not secure the border. The drug cartels are abusing Joe Biden's policy, making billions of dollars to do it. Fentanyl is raging through our country, and young girls are being sold into sex slavery. And every time I make that last comment, I'm I'm waiting for Democrats who always tell us about how much they care about women to say why they don't care about young girls being sold into sex slavery. They have no comment. Because like like I said at the beginning, Roger, they only care about the agenda. They don't care about black people. They don't care about women. They care about the agenda. Now, when I bring up Merrick Garland, it's because I wholeheartedly believe that Merrick Garland is part of the obstruction of justice by the Department of Justice into not only what's going on with the Biden family, but I also believe he's, he's the, he is the core of weaponizing justice against President Trump and other people in this country. Both well, those things are wrong. Period. Uh, you're absolutely right. And just to be very clear, these state actions uh, in Georgia, in New York State, these are being done in total coordination with the Justice Department. Former Speaker Newt Gingrich reported uh, that uh, that they actually sped up the indictment of uh, President Trump in Fulton County uh, because of more and more bad news coming out uh, about the Bidens. It just seems to me we are in an information war. They play a game of distraction uh, under the leadership of Congressman Comer uh, and Jim Jordan. Uh, we've seen evidence of extortion, uh, bribery, uh, racketeering, money laundering, influence peddling, illegal lobbying. Uh, and we now know definitively that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Jim Biden and other members of the Biden family got multi-million dollar wires uh, from Ukraine, from Russia, from China, uh, from Romania. I remember that flashpoint in the debate. Trump brought this up with Tucker Carlson, where, where Donald Trump asked candidate Biden, if it was true uh, that he and his son had received $1.3 million from the wife of the mayor of Moscow because she was seeking to evade being on the sanctions list, uh, and Joe Biden called Donald Trump a liar. Uh, we now know Trump was wrong. It wasn't $1.3 million. It was $40 million. It was $40 right. million into Hunter Biden's uh, real estate development company, given his vast experience in real estate development. So, I mean, it is amazing to me the way if you chart it out on a piece of paper, every time there is breaking and serious evidence of crimes by the Bidens, uh, there is some new move on President Donald Trump. Uh, your, your reaction to the way the president handled uh, his arraignment, his arrest, his fingerprinting and being mugshotted uh, in uh, uh, in Atlanta this week. Well, look. I'm first of all, it, the fact that he this is he, this even occurred is tragic and wrong. And people will say you're being partisan or just defending Trump. And I'm I'm not saying that. Uh, what I think is is that um, you have a serious problem of weaponization by the justice system in the country. It's just flat out wrong. It shouldn't occur, and it's being wielded politically which has never been what we've been about in this country until right now. 
Um, secondarily, I think the way he handled himself was the exact way to do it. I think he, he demonstrated the right amount of, of defiance with this whole thing. Um, also understanding how big this moment is for the country. Um, you know, I think the president's words talking about weaponization and election interference are absolutely correct. And I think he's also been correct in saying that this is not what the American people want to see. Listen, in, in our country, you can have your personal feelings about Donald Trump. You can love him. You can hate him. And that's all well and we all sign up for that when you get into this into the political world. But to have agents of our government turn the power of government against political rivals is un-American in my view. Now, if you have the goods, like if you really have documented evidence that is beyond the shadow of reasonable doubt, that's something. But what they're doing here is just waging a political war simply because Joe Biden sucks at his job, is a terrible president, and is a corrupt president. And we can clearly prove that. You stated it uh, just now, Roger, and we have more details that are going to come. Uh, the overwhelming members, uh, Republican members of the House from Florida uh, have endorsed uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, I know that you are a, a friend of Governor Ron DeSantis. I know you introduced him the night of his smashing reelection victory. Uh, and I will say nothing to disrespect the governor here. Uh, I voted for him. You voted for him. Uh, I think mm -hmm. he did many good things. But Florida right now, we have an insurance crisis. Uh, we have a we have a utility uh, rate crisis. We have a malaria crisis. Uh, we have we're beginning to have an immigration crisis. Uh, uh, what went into your decision to join the overwhelming number of your colleagues uh, to endorse Donald Trump? Well, I, I think I look at it like this: when the clock hits twenty twenty five, we need somebody that can hit the ground running, and because there are so many issues created by Joe Biden that they all got to get cleaned up. And it's got to happen in like the first 50 days. And the the only person who can do that is Donald Trump. And, you know, with all respect to uh, Governor DeSantis, going into the White House is different than going into the governor's mansion. It just is by order by orders of magnitude. Um, there is a verge. There is a conflict that could spill out into world war where, yeah, Donald Trump's got to go in there and figure this thing out and figure it out fast. Now, I totally believe he has the ability to do that because in his four years, the world got safer. You know, I made a comment the other day that when Barack Obama was president, Vladimir Putin went into Georgia. He went into Crimea. Then um, China was starting to rattle its saber. Iran was starting to build, get nuclear ambitions, and they had got their stupid deal to start building out their nuclear program. Donald Trump becomes president, China stops, Russia stops, Iran stops. Joe Biden goes into the White House, Iran is on the move again, China's looking at Taiwan, and now Russia's invaded. I mean, people just need to look at the facts. You got to do that on day one. Donald Trump can do that. Secondarily, with energy, we know he can get us energy independent. He's done it once. And we know he, we know he can get the economy back on track. He did it once. And so... I need to know that you can get the country back on track. And that's no disrespect to Ron DeSantis or anybody else that's running, but we've seen Donald Trump do it. When you take into account the fact that he was investigated the entire time he was running, he was running the country, that amount of pressure on an administration, imagine all the things he could have accomplished if he just had a fair media 
and even and even handed media, not the uh, weaponized media against him. And if he just had the ability to focus on all the things that were going on, as opposed to the White House being bogged down with investigation after investigation. All right. I'm afraid we are out of time. I want to thank our special guest, Congressman Byron Donalds, a man I'd like to see run for governor of Florida or perhaps U.S. senator, maybe even president of the United States someday, because I think he's a man who has what it takes. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us on The Roger Stone Show. Thank you, Roger.